Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Welcome to the Making Data Simple podcast. This is where we talk about data, we talk about business, we talk about leadership, we talk about technology, pretty much anything, and that's just the way we like it. You got to have a title. For those of you listening, I'm in the U.S., of course, and we're coming out of the cold. Last week, I think we had a 98-degree swing in Kansas City. We went from minus 32 degrees to 66 degrees. So if you guys are in Celsius, that's minus 36 to 19, something like that. I've got a great guest today. That's Rob Thomas. Hope you're warm, Rob. This is the third time I think you've been on the podcast. I try to get you every year on the podcast. Rob Thomas is the Senior Vice President of IBM Cloud and Data Platform. He's a business leader. He's a coach. He's got a mentor newsletter that you guys all should check out. We'll put in the show notes. He's an author. He's a blogger. Rob, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for being here. I hope you're ready to have a little fun. For sure. Thanks for having me back. Our temperatures stayed just brutal the whole time. We didn't have the 60 degree change that you did. It's been more like 25 consistently for a while. So hopefully we'll meet up in warmer climates at some point. So if you wouldn't mind, we have a fair number of new listeners. Please provide a quick intro to your career, if you would. My whole professional career is IBM, but many different things. I started in consulting, did that for quite a while, moved over to microelectronics, where we were building a services business for uh, semiconductors, which was a lot of fun. Joined software in about, I think it was 2006, and I've been in software since then. And really a lot of different roles, business development, sales, engineering, general manager for data and AI, but all IBM, which has been tremendous. It's a great place to work. A lot of great people, a lot of great history, and an even better future. Really excited about where we are now and where we're headed. Well, so speaking of where we're headed... Last time we talked, I think it was January of 2020, and a lot has happened since then. It's like the before and after, maybe. At the time, we were talking about data and AI, uh, latter-day AI, AI trust. So I know there's been a lot of changes for you. You went from uh, the general manager of data and AI to senior vice president of cloud and data platform. Along the way, we've had a pandemic. We've had social issues. We've had a political storm. People are working from home, still working from home, a lot of people anyway. It's a lot. Kind of deep. I've got a question that's going to be at the end of this, and it's really about your learnings over this period. I mean, things are so crazy right now. I've got to do a level set myself at times. While I'm very empathetic, you know, anybody that's been impacted by any one of those elements that I just talked to, I was thinking about this, and my great-grandfather, he was born in 1892, and he went through World War I. So that was like 1914, that's 22 million people died. The Spanish flu in 1918, that's 50 million. Then the Great Depression in 1929. Then World War II in 1939, 75 million. Then they went through smallpox, all kinds of other things. The world has went through a lot of challenges before, but it does feel like everything's happened at once over the last 18 months or so. And all these changes have a clear impact on our business. Quite a setup, but my question is this. What are your learnings from 2020? If you pause, you think about the year we just had, apply it to IBM, the challenging dynamics in the market. What learnings have you had overall and what thoughts come to mind for 2021? I do think perspective is really important. 
I read a lot of history and I was reading, I read a book at, actually back at the start of the pandemic about the cholera pandemic that really started in the UK in the 1800s. I mean, that was brutal. This one hasn't been good at all, but things have been worse in the past. I think what's amazing about human nature is ultimately humans are resilient and they bounce back. And last year was a big struggle with social issues, as you described. And that job is not done. It's not even close to being done. I think all of life is about resiliency, progress, persistence. If nothing else, that's probably one of my big takeaways from 2020 is what can I do to have a positive impact in places where help is needed? Because anytime things are tough, leadership is what is needed. And so we've got to do that across all the aspects that we've dealt with. On a much more minor note, the biggest change to me was what is it like to work without traveling? It may sound weird. A lot of people are like, hey, it must be such a relief. You no longer have to travel. And I'm like, on one hand, it's been fantastic. I've had dinner at home every night. I've gotten to see my wife and kids more than I normally do. Like that's been tremendous. But I also realized a lot of the downtime I would have for reading, just even relaxing for a moment was via traveling. And that's completely gone away. I found myself, you know, as we're getting to May and June, I was like, wow, I'm literally working like 18 hours a day and there is no break and there's no such thing as a weekend. That's not very healthy either. So it hasn't been a big change to adjust to a different style of working. But I think overall that's going to be positive because even as we get back to a world that's more open, I think I can do things now that I couldn't do before, which is great. Well, I got to ask a follow-up now that you're on to it is how are you applying balance? Because you're right. The meetings have gotten earlier and they've gotten later because everybody's, well, I'm at home. Might as well have that meeting at 6 a.m. Unless you have strong, strong discipline, it, it's a difficult task right now. How do you do it? I do block my calendar. I started this a couple of years ago. I do have my assistant block time on my calendar every day. Every once in a while, if it's urgent, I will take a call or something if I have to in that time period. But it's pretty rare. If I don't do that, it's literally impossible to have a break. And if you create those breaks and then you don't take them, then you've also got a problem because then you might as well not have even done it in the first place. So I think you have to have a pretty disciplined approach to how you set your priorities and what's important, how you manage your calendar. If you take time up front to set your calendar up right, then you can kind of follow it. If you don't, then it gets out of control. I tend to be pretty intentional about that. And by the way, taking a break for me could be just step away from the desk and maybe go read for a bit. It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to go watch Netflix, but it is about just stepping away from grinding, really being on the call, being, you know, working in a productivity suite or something like that. Look, we are all humans. I don't think anybody is invincible on this topic. Now you lead cloud and data platform. We have a new CEO in Arvind Krishna since the last time we talked and Arvind came from Cloud and Cognitive and Research. The leader selected is typically an indication of the strategic vision of an organization. So from that standpoint, you're leading a lot of those elements, so congrats. Also, the market would tell us that's often the place to be. I mean, if you look at Satya Nadella, he was the executive vice president of Microsoft Cloud. You have Amazon that just named Andy Jassy from Amazon Cloud segment. One is, I, I gotta believe you're excited, 
Well, you can tell me that, but then I'm sure that's the case. What's your vision and objectives in 2021 for cloud and data platform? I think there is a lesson here in adaptability, which really determines, I'd say, the the fortunes of every individual and every company, which is can you adapt? Because if you even think back to IBM's history for a moment, circa 1990, 1991, when IBM almost went extinct, at that time, the insight that Lou Gerster talks about in his book was the problem he saw in the market was customers had too many different tools. Nobody could actually help them bring them together. That was his simple strategy was we could do that. That led to what's been a you know 30 plus year strategy around services as the primary focus for the company. And that was 100% the right decision at that time. It was carried through with Sam. It was carried through with Jenny. Like these were the right decisions. The insight Arvin brought, I'd say pretty quickly in the role was we have to adapt again, which is the world is becoming more product centric, not product only, because services are critical to winning platforms, delivering product, but product centric. That's a big change. And that is about adapting to, you know, a technology and a services strategy as opposed to just a services strategy. I think the markets responded with, I'd say, recognizing the clarity of our strategy, hybrid cloud and AI. It's two things. It's very simple. It's technology centric. That's also simple. As we reach out to things like the ecosystem, obviously, if you're going to do technology, you've got to have the broadest set of partners possible to help them be successful, help them grow the size of their business so that we can benefit as part of that. So the strategy is super clear. It's timely and it is about adapting to this new era that we find ourselves in, which certainly got accelerated in 2020. Why do those two objectives, that being hybrid cloud and AI, surpass everything else? Because you could be in front of me saying blockchain, you could be saying quantum, you could, you could be saying IoT, why hybrid cloud and AI? All the things you just said are important ingredients. The difference is, is what is really foundational. Hybrid cloud is the notion of open source will drive the future of software innovation. By definition, open source is going to run anywhere. So it's going to run on your private cloud, on any public cloud. So that's a really big thought as the world kind of once again decentralizes, even you can think to the edge, whether it's automobiles or how telcos think about edge devices. Hybrid cloud's a really big topic. It is the kind of thing that a company can build a strategy around because we're talking about a trillion dollar opportunity here. And at the scale IBM operates, that's the kind of opportunities we have to look at. I think of AI as really the accelerator of hybrid cloud. It's how do you take software and services, make them intelligent, leveraging data science, leveraging machine learning, doing that on hybrid cloud. So hybrid cloud and AI are two sides of the same coin. But the reason those stick out is that is the enormous market opportunity. They also happen to be the two biggest customer problems that I hear about, which is how do I modernize my applications? How do I modernize my data? And then how do I get the value out of AI? Fair enough. Hey, look, uh, I want to ask another question on hybrid cloud. But before I do, 
when you came into the, the new role, you implemented two rules within your organization. I thought they were pretty profound. It kind of told where your head's at. Are you willing to discuss those two rules? I think the role of any leader is to help the organization understand what is important, what is critical. And the two rules I set, I'd say really set the tone for what I think is critical. Rule number one was the only software we build will be built on Red Hat OpenShift. And that goes right to the hybrid cloud point because any software we're building has to be designed for an open platform, decentralized in how it deploys, has to be able to run anywhere. So it's a simple thing to say. I think it's something everybody can understand. That doesn't mean it's always easy to do, but I thought it was important that I provide clarity that this is the only way we're going to build software. And the second one, which is probably the more controversial one, was I said, we're not going to release any products unless I personally can do the trial of the product. And so why did I do that? The biggest thing that's changed in enterprise software, this notion of consumerization. We're not always selling to a CIO. Often we're selling to a user. We have to make sure that user experience is exceptional. This is why we've made big investments in IBM design as an example. So I view myself as the lowest common denominator. If I can do the trial, anybody can do the trial. I just want to set the tone that I've got to be able to try something, try our product before we're willing to let anybody in the world try it. And it's funny, the reaction you get. I got some, hey, that's a great idea. I got some, hey, you're going to slow us down. My view is, how does that slow us down? I just want to try it the day before you let customers try it. That's not slowing you down because I just want to try it the day before you let everybody else try it. So it's funny how you get different reactions to this, but I think those two rules are critical for our company going forward. Yeah, I don't know if that's a harder challenge for development or for you. <laughs> I think it's, a good, it's a good challenge. I, I agree. So let's go back to hybrid cloud. So if I Google search hybrid, and I have, IBM comes to the top. Now, I, others are talking about it, but it certainly feels like IBM has the mind share on hybrid. And maybe it's because I'm IBM. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, what's your view on hybrid cloud, what it really is? What offerings make up hybrid cloud and why is it so critical? Why is it so critical to IBM? Not everybody's saying it, but it does seem like the, the trend in the industry is they're starting to talk about hybrid a lot more than they were in the past. Do you think we were the first one to get there or what? I think sometimes people are too binary. It's not hybrid cloud or cloud, which is sometimes where people jump to. This is all about cloud. Let's be clear on that. Hybrid is the idea that you don't have to choose a single locked-in proprietary walled garden to be on the cloud. You can be on every cloud, whether it's your own or somebody else's. That's the notion of hybrid cloud. So hybrid cloud is a subset of the overall cloud topic. We should be clear on that. It's not something different. It's highly complementary. And this is why I think you've seen companies like AWS and like Microsoft with Azure, who have recently said, hey, the next big opportunity is in hybrid because they realize that customers may have moved some applications to public cloud to start with, but now they're trying to figure out what do I do with everything else? And what happens when they're running across multiple cloud environments? 
I would say, yes, I think we were the first to talk about it. I would also say everybody has now followed suit to a T. I think everybody's now using that term. And it's really a reflection of where we are in the life cycle. What do businesses need to get right in this new hybrid cloud and AI world that we're in? I think you have to take the concept of the, the platform, which is that hybrid cloud architecture, and then you have to connect it to what are customers trying to get done. I think the four big things that customers are trying to get done are, number one is automation. They're trying to automate their business processes, automate their IT operations. So automation is one big category. I think the next one is security, because regardless of where you're working, you want applications, data, employees, environments to all be secure. I think third is around modernization, which is how do I take all the stuff I have and bring it forward to a cloud native world. And then fourth is about how we make better predictions. That is the notion of collecting data, organizing data, analyzing data, making better predictions from it. That's the reason for going down this hybrid cloud path. It's because you want to automate, you want to secure, you want to modernize, you want to get more value out of your data. Those are the use cases, if you will, that require a hybrid cloud platform. Is it your point of view then that uh, as we head to the future, uh, you're either on a platform as a client or you're going to become a lagger? Is it binary from that perspective or you know? I don't really believe in anything binary. I think there's massive benefits to being on a platform. You get the benefits of the ecosystem. For example, all the ISVs that we brought on to Red Hat OpenShift as an example, the ISVs that are now building on cloud packs, the systems integrator partners that have skills in cloud packs. So there is enormous economic and efficiency benefits to the platform approach. Some customers say, hey, I need that in this place, but I don't need that everywhere. That's fine because there's going to be other ways to go do things. But I do think the over time, the economics of platforms have always proven out. When you get better economics and you get better agility, you also get better speed. These are all the things that a company needs to do to compete in the world we're living in right now. So I think you'll see more and more adoption of, of the platform approach. Here's my next question, and it's, it goes along with differentiation. And I'm going to ask it a little different way. I'm going to give you what I think the differentiators are, and then you can beat me up. In other words, here's the question. What does IBM Cloud and Data Platform do that nobody else can do? What's the differentiator? My point of view is that, one, it is hybrid. I'm bought in because you can integrate, you can manage, you can govern data uh, across hybrid enterprise, whether it's SaaS, whether it's uh, private cloud, whether it's on-premise. But there's a bigger reason for that. I'll get to the second. So that's number one. Number two is we've got the full spectrum of capabilities. You know, that's everything from governance to automation to analytics to visualization. I think a lot of people have microservices, but people don't have Red Hat. So we've got the microservices. That's number two. Number three is that in all that we're open, which is a little different than hybrid, meaning that you can use other products, even third-party databases if you want to, you, so you're not pigeonholed. So I guess in summary, the way I propose, it's not just a, a new way to move bits. We can allow the clients with everything you just said earlier on the platform and the differentiators I just went through, you can modernize right now. It's hybrid. So we can connect the old to the new. You don't, you're not locked in. You have choices. Usually that's my pitch. 
And you'll notice I didn't even mention AI. And the reason I don't mention AI is because I think that's, you know, I think it's huge. That's the prediction, the automation you mentioned. It's like the icing on the cake. If you can set everything else up that I just described, you'll get that icing on the cake and you can leapfrog the competition. How did I do? <laughs> really good. One thing I'd point to is if you think about the history of technology, it's always oscillated between centralized and decentralized architectures. The mainframe, which you know, circa the 80s was 70% of the technology market, was a centralized architecture. It was kind of like bring everything to one place. We then spent 20 plus years decentralizing that with client server, the internet, mobile, public cloud, just the notion of a single public cloud, ironically, is kind of a return to a centralized mainframe-like architecture. Hey, bring everything to one place. I don't believe that's going to last because it never has in the history of technology. So we are going to move back to this decentralized architecture. A key aspect of that, exactly where you went, is open source. I do think there's a fundamental question for anybody to ask themselves is, are you a believer one, that software is the, you know, the new language of the world, I am. And two is, do you think that's going to be open source driven or proprietary driven? I think it's going to be open source. Any company has to be, I'd say, really thoughtful on a proprietary centralized decision. It's probably not a good one. So that takes you down the path of open, decentralized, the points that you just mentioned. And then I would throw on where you went at the end around automation, getting more value out of your data, because that is something that I think we do particularly well at. It's a lot of years of research getting into that. But that does become how do you monetize and capitalize on the open, decentralized architecture? So I think those pieces are critical. Very good. Look, I do want to switch over to the leadership. Do you have another 10 minutes? Yeah. What should companies be looking at today to build their competitiveness? You know, everything we've said about the platform, hybrid cloud, AI, if you're out there listening, if you're a CEO or if, if you're a chief data officer, CIO, whatever, how do I make sure I'm competitiveness and I'm not just relevant today, but I'm relevant in the future? It's kind of an overused term, but I think you have to start with this notion of what does digital transformation mean for my business? That's a little bit different depending on the business. The answer to that question is the answer to your question, I believe, because it's about what are the practices, behaviors, talents, technologies, everything that will serve for this new era that we are, I'd say we're in, which is accelerating, which is about how do we interact digitally? When you really get inside companies today, it's a little hard to believe how much is still really manual, non-digitized. We are very early in this game. Every company has to ask themselves that question. What does it take for me to be a leader in my segment or in my industry on digital transformation? So I got a follow-up now. Uh, you're talking a lot of the CEOs, a lot of these people who mentioned the C-suite. What do you think is the biggest, the largest inhibitor, if you had to point it out, what do you think the biggest inhibitor to a digital transformation is? One is accepting it as a foregone conclusion. Because I see businesses that try to rationalize themselves out of having to do something. So that's inhibitor number one is acceptance. Inhibitor number two is clarity of 
So once you've accepted it, clarity of exactly what it means for your business, your people. If you nail those two things, so if you if everybody's on board, so it's accepted, and you have clarity of what it means for you, at that point, it's just execution. Getting those first two steps done is where I see companies falter. Sweet. Fantastic. Good information, Rob. I want to switch to, to leadership now. You just finished a tenure of general manager for data and AI. How do you define success from a general manager lens? I don't think you can define yourself just on the end result. The end result's obviously important. I think what really matters is, did you take the right steps to ensure success? That doesn't mean success is here today or tomorrow, but you know you've taken the right steps. So I think a lot about, did we define a clear strategy? I think we did. Two, did we build the team that could go execute that strategy? I think we did. Three, did we see evidence of success, even if it wasn't, I'd say, complete success? And maybe there's not, not such thing as complete success. I would say we did. Fourth, were we able to promote from within because as the business was successful, which it was, more opportunity was created, people re were rewarded for the work they did. We definitely did that. I think those are the important things because those last forever. If you just put your importance on, you know, did we hit a number? Problem is that clock resets every quarter. It's too short term in thinking. So I think you've got to think about the inputs to that because then you've actually built something that will last. And I think the ultimate test of a leader is did you build something that will last as opposed to something that got a, you know, a one-time hit. You also talk about being intentional. I don't know if I heard this on a podcast or a post. I can't recall. You did mention it at the beginning of this podcast, though. Say a bit more on the benefits of being intentional, or I guess it's kind of implied, but how are you intentional? I think too many people are on autopilot by accident. What I mean by that is if your calendar controls you or anybody that asks for time or asks for a call, then by definition, you're just going through life reacting. And it's like you're on autopilot because on autopilot, you react to obstacles, you fill them. That's very different from having clarity of this is the strategy this is what's important. This is what has to get done. And then making sure that everything you do every day aligns to those things. I see some people that really struggle with that because they get so wrapped up in the inbound request and the day-to-day -day that they lose sight of what they have to do. My approach to dealing with this is I write it down. And I often share that with my direct reports and the organization as an annual message or as a strategy document. While I do that for our team, always my original intent on that is doing it for myself. I presume you write a lot of things down. You're a writer. You're a good writer, by the way. Give you a kudos there. But you're a writer, but that helps. At least it helps me. When you put things on in full sentences, I tell my team this all the time, it makes a huge difference versus just putting it in a bullet point on a PowerPoint. You really got it. It's like teaching a class versus taking a class to me. And what I realize is, by the way, it takes me about 15 drafts because when you write something down, then you realize that your own thinking is not clear. 
And so then you have to go back and do it again. Then you have to go back and do it again. And if you reiterate a few times, then normally you get to a level of clarity in your own mind. And at that point, there's a chance that somebody else will actually understand it, which is good. I think that whole process is really important. You know, one thing I read on Brene Brown, she says, embrace cruddy first drafts. And that's so true. Just start writing. And it's amazing what goes from there, which leads me to my next question. I read a recent post you had on your monthly newsletter, The Mentor, that resonated to me. Uh, And I guess it's by coincidence. It was just show up. I actually have a sticky on my monitor. It says just show up. I wanted to hear I've got my own take on that, but I wanted to hear your reason for writing about that. This was something somebody said to me before I joined IBM, and they said it wasn't IBM or at the time. And they made the comment that if you just show up every day, you'll get ahead of 80% of other people. And I was like, show, what does that mean? And so you dig deeper. And the point was, it's not about just, just physically being present, but it's about doing all the things that it takes to be comfortable being physically present, meaning you're prepared, you've understand the topic better than anybody else. You've thought about different point of views. So it's really about, are you going to be over-prepared in, in every situation? I thought it was really good advice at the time. I think it's helped me along the way. I learned early on what it meant to not be prepared because sometimes I would think I was prepared because I put in the time, but putting the time and actually getting the outcome are two very different things. So it was helpful for me to think about as I've gone through my career. To me, it works even tactically. I mean, that's why I've used it. I mean, going back to the Brene Brown, crappy first drafts, you just start. Once you start, think good things happen. I'll tell you, I get up at 5, 5.30 every morning, and the first thing I do is work out. Now, look, I'm typically not a morning person, but you know, I, I want to get things done in the day, so I'm very uh, A-type uh, you know, driven, so I, I'm up. And the last thing I want to do is work out. And so I honestly, what I have to say to myself is just show up. You know, just mail it in today. Just do it. Because what happens is, and I say that to myself pretty much every morning, then I get down, I start doing the workout, and, you know, I have a great workout because, you know, I, I'm incapable of mailing it in. So then, but you start out that way, just show up, just be there. I think 90% of success is just being there when you, when you need to be. All right. Look, I got a couple more, and then I'll let you go. This is the toughest, so be ready for this. I'm going to give you some time afterwards just so. Here's the question. Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. The best answer I've had to date is a guy named Philip Rainier. He was a chief executive officer at Security and Technology. He actually worked on the National Security Council for President Obama. And you know he's, he's been on Air Force One and everything. I asked him this, he said, bureaucracy is good, but nobody agrees with me. I said, well, you're right there, buddy. So, so you gotta beat that. You got one? I would say slow is good. What I mean by that is obviously everything moves fast. And obviously as a business leader, speed helps you. But when I say slow, I really back to this point of being intentional and thoughtful. There's way too much that happens in this world that is reactive in nature, spontaneous in nature. Slow is actually good. That's pretty good. Not bad. You did well. You passed the test. All right. right. Look, you you read a lot of books, I know, and you recommend a lot of books. I want the book that you would recommend most right now or the book that you do recommend most. What is it? 
I've read a bunch so far this year. One that sticks with me is a book called It Takes What It Takes. The whole idea in the book is about, do you understand what you want to accomplish? And are you modeling behaviors to ensure that you accomplish that? And it sounds incredibly basic, but I thought there were some great stories in the book. And the key point is there are no shortcuts to whatever you want to do in life. There are no shortcuts. It takes what it takes. Do you really understand what that is? That book stuck with me, actually. Very good. It takes what it takes. We'll put it in the show notes. Hey, uh, any hobbies that you're interested in right now? What what are you doing away from work? Anything fun that could shed some light on? Cooking. We put in a pizza oven over the last year. So I'm doing a lot of wood oven cooking, which is fun. So that's the new hobby. Inside pizza oven? Outside. Outside. So you're doing it right now, though? I'll smoke brisket or on my smoker or cook in this in any weather. I'm, cold weather doesn't bother me for cooking. The smoker is a Yoder, right? If I remember. It is, right. yes. It is the best. Kansas City-based company. Is that a guitar in the corner that I see? There is a guitar, yes, for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, do you use that guitar? Are you playing that guitar or is it somebody else's guitar? No, it's mine. I played guitar for a long time. Not well, very well. That's an acoustic that you see. I do have an electric guitar, but I really play acoustic guitar, all country music. I'm not country. very good. I've been playing since I was, I think, five years old. So I can I can at least play some basic chords. You didn't strike me as a country guy, though, man. I have to I've say. always been a country guy. Really? Who's the little, band? Little, 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 little known fact that I'll, I'll only share with you, even though this is public. But <laughs> my grandfather played guitar for Hank Williams. Yeah, he was in the original... Hank Williams band. He left them when they got into bad stuff. So country music's kind of always been in our family. What's your favorite country artist right now? I really like the Avid Brothers, which is a little bit of Americana slash country slash folk. Really like that. I, I listen to some new country as well, but that's not quite as interesting to me. Luke Combs is pretty good in that category. Florida Georgia Line. Yeah, I like that. Sure. Maybe. <laughs> Didn't sound like you were all in on that. Well, look, now you got to play guitar in one of your next all hands. That's the pressure you have. That hey, is thank- probably going to be unlikely. <laughs> thank you. Hey, you say you're good. I believe you're good. You need to play it. Anyway, thank you for being on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Always great insight. Uh, and I know you're you're always strapped for time. So it's greatly appreciated. All right, Al. Good to talk to you. And folks, thanks as always for listening. Rate us wherever you're hearing us. And uh, reach out to us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We do listen. We'll get back to you. Until next time, we'll see you on the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.